This is the Word of God, and I'm Father Reed. This week we'll be looking at Advent 2, the week of Advent 2. Now what's Advent? Well, I explained it last week in our beginning of the new year, although technically it's not a new year in terms of a calendar year, but we begin the liturgical season with the season of Advent, which speaks about the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, as all of you know, is pre-existent. He has no beginning, but he's coming into the world to take on human flesh. We call that the incarnation. So we are preparing ourselves for the incarnation. And we have a four-week period of doing so. Advent 1, Advent 2, Advent 3, and Advent 4. Oh, by the way, for churches, that season can be either penitential or celebratory. What do you mean? Well, if it's penitential, you're going to have colors uh, that are going to be purple. If it's celebratory, the color is blue. That's what we do at All Saints. More of a celebratory, we can't wait. Here he comes, let's get ourselves ready. Let's think about the scriptures. Let's prepare ourselves spiritually for the coming of the Lord. If it's penitential, let's see how we can get our heart and mind right for God. What sins do we need to confess? How do we need to amend our lives? Now, there's nothing wrong with that, certainly. We see that explored very greatly in Lent, which comes after Epiphany, which comes after Christmas, which comes after Advent. So in Lent for five weeks, we have the process of preparing ourselves for the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. In Advent, again, some churches um, take a more penitential approach. In the week of Second Advent, we have three scriptures, sections. We have Amos. Remember last week we looked at Amos 1 through Amos 5. So we'll be looking at chapter 6 through 9, and then we'll be looking at Haggai, a prophet, Haggai, in 1 and 2. Secondly, we have Revelation. So remember, we finished Second Peter and Jude. Now we're looking at the beginning chapters of Revelation. And then finally, we're looking at Matthew 22 to Matthew 24, the continuation of the Gospel of Matthew. All right, let's look at Amos chapter 6. Woe to the complacent. The Lord abhors the pride of Israel. The Lord wants people who will trust him, who will seek him, who will love him, who will obey him. Verse 12. Do horses run on the rocky crags? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. Don't mess with justice and righteousness. You want to act in a just way. You want to act in a righteous way. God calls human beings to do that and human beings in a community to do that. So he's calling on Israel to act in a just and righteous manner. Chapter 7, verse 9. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. And with my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. God does not support idol worship. God does not support idol worship at all. 
with my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. All right? So there's going to be destruction. Remember, I talked about wrath in Advent 1, the wrath of the Lord. Amos shares with Amaziah in verse 14 about him receiving the call. Receiving the call at the end of that chapter, chapter 7, and Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. And of course, they did go into exile. Remember I said last week, Amos was um, serving in, with the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom was still active, but the northern kingdom had not gone into captivity yet, which was 721. So this was prior to it. And now he prophesies that they will go into exile. Very serious. Chapter 8, the basket of ripe fruit. The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. Hear this, verse 4. You who trample the needy and do away with the poor. So when we get into justice issues and how to treat the poor and how to treat people, many people turn to uh, Amos in looking for scriptures. Men, verse 12, will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. This is when there's a famine of the word of God. Brothers and sisters, you do not want to play with God. You want to obey him. You want to act righteously. You want to love him. You want to serve him. You want to know his word and keep it because he has the ability to do terrifying things to us when we do not obey him, when there's wrath and judgment, as I said last week. In chapter 9, the final chapter, verse 10. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. What is he saying there? He is judging Israel. And people are saying, oh, there's nothing going to be going wrong. We'll be fine. God's going to take care of us. I hope none of you are saying that. And presuming upon the Lord. Do what the Lord says. Follow his will. Very important to do. Amos 6 to Amos 9. Haggai. It's before Zechariah and after Zephaniah. Chapter 1. This is the second year of King Darius in the sixth month. So this is much later in Israel's history. After the Babylonian conquest of 587. Verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down temper and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. And the people feared the Lord, verse 12. The peop that's, that's the attitude you want to have. The people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. I am with you, verse 13. It's, good. it's a good start. I am with you. Fear the Lord. Go into the house. This is about the restoration. As he's going to restore them. He's going to restore them and he's going to bring them out of captivity and bless them. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we're asked to read verse 7. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord God Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace. So God is going to do something great. So there's restoration even with the people of Israel, the people of Judah in the southern kingdom when they disobey the Lord. Okay? So 
there's a call to build the house of the Lord at the beginning of Haggai, and then the glory of this building in the second chapter. And so there's a restoration and a blessing because God restores his people. If God did not restore his people, we'd all be doomed. Let's look at Revelation. Now, Revelation, as you've heard me say earlier this year, is quite an amazing book. It is a very dense book. It is very difficult. In some ways, it's complex. In some ways, it's very, very simple. And what you'll see in these three chapters in Revelation is a description in chapter 1 of the Son of Man. Alpha, the, I am the Alpha the Omega, verse 8, chapter 1. Who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. And then there's one like a Son of Man. This is Jesus. This is glorified Jesus. It's a very important scripture in the second half of chapter 1 of Revelation. Dressed in a robe, verse 13. Reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. So you have this phenomenally powerful person and this great person. This is the glorified Christ. Okay? So I love Revelation 1 because it establishes that fact. And what we see in Revelation 2 and 3 is the writings concerning the churches. The writings concerning the churches. And we'll finish those off next week in Advent 3. But you begin with Ephesus. You see that in chapter 2? You have Ephesus. You have Smyrna. You have Pergamum. You have Thyatira. And you have Sardis. One, two, three, four, five. Now the last two, which we'll look at next week, are the church in Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea in chapter three. And what he's doing is the angel in the church in Ephesus wrote, the angel in the church of Smyrna wrote, the angel in the church of Pergamum wrote, the angel to the church of Theotira wrote, okay? And it's a beautiful, short series of statements about each of those places and what they need to do before the Lord. It's a judgment upon them, the judgment in the sense being, okay, I've looked at you and here's what, here's what I see. Here's the good, here's the bad, here's the ugly. Here's what we need to do. I, don't, I won't go through each of them with you, but just to give you, um, when you read them throughout the week, you want to take in, okay, what are they saying? Is any of this applicable to me in any sense? Once you've... Um, gotten the scripture in the context of what the scripture is saying to that particular church. What is God saying to our church? What is God saying to me in the process? So enjoy that revelation. It's not, it's not difficult in terms of understanding, but it is very interesting in chapters two and three after we deal with the coming of the Son of Man and who Christ looks like in the glorified state. It is interesting to see how God addresses churches and how he's concerned about what we do in church and what, what the church represents. I wonder what he would say to the church today. In Matthew 22, we continue on with Jesus in chapter 22, verse 23. 22, 23, about the marriage and the resurrection. Is there going to be marriage in heaven? How are we going to be related to one another? 
Um, he's answering the question. The Sadducees who say there's no resurrection came to him with a question. If a man dies and doesn't have any children, what happens? Kind of a crazy thing. It's kind of wild. Um, and Jesus astonishes them at the end of that um, section, that pericope, verse 33, they were astonished. I love verse 37, 38, and 39. I've, um, one of those that I've tried to learn and memorize. One of the experts in the law in verse 35 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? It's a good question. Here's his answer. Verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, a teaching of the Lord. A teaching in whose son is the Christ at the end of 22. In chapter 23, we look at Jesus' very strong indictment against the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. Very strong. Very strong. And what I try to do is look at myself. It, once I figure out, the, again, the context and him speaking to the Pharisees and his concern about them, calls them snakes, he calls them brood of vipers, he calls them hypocrites. Very strong language. And the beginning of chapter 4, 1 to 14, he's talking about the signs at the end of the age. Many people have spent a tremendous amount of time trying to figure out what Jesus means by this. Spent a tremendous amount of time thinking about how the end will come. What I'm most concerned about for you and for me is, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Look at verse 14, the last verse of the week. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So everybody's trying to figure out, okay, have we preached the gospel to everybody? What does it mean to everybody? Every single person? Every nation? How does that work? Again, brothers and sisters, watch out that no one deceives you, verse 4. Many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Be prepared for his advancement. Be prepared for his coming in your own life. So we have a nice uh, mix of scriptures this week for, to celebrate Advent 2. We have the book of uh, Haggai and the book of Amos, second half of Amos and the first half of Haggai. We have the beginning of Revelation, Jesus' word to the angel who speaks to them and Jesus' word to the churches. And then finally, we continue on with, toward the end, Jesus has entered um, Jerusalem on the donkey, Palm Sunday, and now he's dealing, uh, not, there's not any miracles here, but teaching them, teaching them uh, the kingdom of God, and sometimes, as we saw in chapter 23, delivering a very difficult message. Again, as I said last week, I pray that you will have a blessed preparation for the coming of the Lord for Christmas Day, that you will enjoy that time with your family, certainly, but that you are ready for Jesus to really touch you and speak to you in a very profound way, and I hope these scriptures help you to do so. God bless you, and we'll see you next week for the Word of God.